This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room, Rob. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. How are you doing, guys? Yeah, yeah we're doing good, man. We're happy to have you here. Listen, we love to start it the show off by asking uh, if you yourself come from a family of entrepreneurs or what was the, what was the origin story for you? What, what were your parents doing for work? You know, where were you at? Would you spend time with them? Things of that nature. Sure. Well, I definitely don't come from a family of entrepreneurs. Um, in fact, um, it, you know, I think it was a source of great worry and concern for my parents when I started a business in um, in my early 30s um, and uh, I think until recently my you know my dad's finally given up on me getting a, a proper job and, and he kind of and he, and he gets it but it was just something that was just not in their um, kind of sphere of understanding at all you know I come from um, uh, a solid working class background but you know with a lot of people of that of that um, of the, the, the jet, you know, my parents' generation and before, for them, the key was getting a job, a steady job, and you had a job for life. Uh, and I think what changed it for me was, um, was working for some entrepreneurs. So um, as your listeners might have uh, deduced from my accent, I'm, uh, I'm British, you know, not, in the, not in the US, but I was working for uh, two American um, publishers um, who'd set, an off, set up an office here in the UK. And uh, and they just started the uh, the, uh, the their business um, literally on their kitchen table, um, and that was just a, a complete. You know, I'd never seen anything like that before. I didn't realize that you could just essentially make it up, um, and I think that sowed the seed uh, because um, you know I spent a long time in publishing, uh, but eventually that entrepreneur gene was activated. Uh, and that was uh, 24 years ago. Uh, and, um, it, you know, it's I've never looked back, really. That's not to say it was easy, of course, it never is for anybody. Um, but that's how uh, I came to start my business. Interesting. Now, writing for science isn't necessarily the same as writing for, you know, digital marketing or things. Is there any sort of... Uh, did you come across any challenges that maybe now that you have contemporaries or colleagues who are also writers, but maybe in different verticals that maybe you particularly experienced that they didn't because of the path and the vertical? Yes. So, um, so I started in science publishing and then moved into consumer publishing. Um, so I was um, production editor of a magazine and I became managing editor of a magazine at another publisher. Um, and it was, so I, I saw that, you know, I knew the difference and I'd seen the, diff the difference first firsthand anyway. Um, but I, so there is, there is definitely something there. I think when, um, when it comes to helping people 
communicate effectively in writing. Uh, there's a lot of um, mis misconception, misconception. A lot of people misunderstand what good communication is um, and can confuse complex writing with effective writing, for instance. Uh, and also when you're in, if you're in a technical sphere, then you will become blind to the um, to, to the drawbacks, to the inadequacies of, the, of a certain style or a certain um, kind of vocabulary uh, and, uh, and, and build up a bias. So it's only when you show people what something can be like uh, that you, you see the, you know, you see the, the, the scales drop from their eyes and the mist clear and they go, Oh, right. I really get it. You know? So I think, I think often it's, it's really, it's more about um, the, what people anticipate things are going to be like or, or think they're like rather than what they actually are and that but that's just as true for business writing so uh, so the company I started you know focuses on business writing uh, and there there is an awful lot of um, you know pe people tend to to model this style of the people around them and as a result you know, a lot of information is just kind of jammed, jammed up in the works. You know, you just don't get this transfer of knowledge that you should. Uh, and then take that through to marketing. If you see people trying to um, trying to write copy for the first time, trying to, and it could just be writing content for their website. Again, there are a lot of, a lot of myths, a lot of, a lot of hearsay, a lot of wishful thinking, a lot of even pseudoscience um, surrounding that. But, but often it's just kind of, bias you know people can't get out of their own way and really connect with their readers yeah you know i think part of the the reason jason and i love this uh format of podcasting so much is uh, it gives us a long form way of creating value for people so, so you know you could just see based off what you're talking about even just there the idea of how people receive what it is that you say and podcasting is definitely a different format from an audiobook, right and so i i really think that uh, the right writer can really reach an audience in a way that no audio or no video ever could uh and and you know not everybody loves reading uh but just like that not everybody loves sitting there and listening to someone you know forever and then not everybody loves sitting there watching somebody um I, i'd love to to sort of bring in jason on this because you not only not only do you write on business and you have the background there, but you also started, you know, doing psychology research. You know, Jason himself was in the military for 23 plus years. He likes to say three years too long. And, you know, and at the same time, he was running uh, all his businesses while being in, in the military. And so the, he has hired, you know, fired people. And how do you write these things? There's a lot of what he's talked about or what, what he's experienced as a business owner in the military, uh, science projects he might've come across that he could never tell a soul about, <laughs> you know? So I, I, I think there, there, he may have some curiosities about just your background and, and what it is that you're doing before I continue the inquiry any further, Jason. Yeah. I, you know, when you talk about like the dynamics of humans and psychology and all these things and, and you start like bunching like leadership and and how people think and and especially in business. Right. I mean, we, we all know or we've all been caught up in that, uh, you know, get in your own way thing or uh, a lot of people get caught up in that imposter syndrome and. 
and all these different things. And, you know, it's always been of my opinion that we can, you know, psychologically affect that through effective communication, right? And very pinpointed communication. And it was funny because last night I was on Australian TV, which is a first for me. Um, And, you know, the lady said something. She goes, you know, just we have four minutes. So the only thing I ask of you is to be very on point and very succinct about your answers, right? And uh, about the questions they were going to ask me, right? And you think about that. That's pretty hard to do when you don't even know what somebody's going to ask you. (laughs) (laughs) To a certain degree, right? And so over time as people, we got to learn to program ourselves to be adaptable, right? And, And that's all up here. It's all psychological. And, you know, there are all these forms and mediums, books and video and podcasting and all this stuff. And and I think it's important that we identify which one is the best for us. And I think that's what you're helping people doing a little bit there in that space is to be able to help somebody do that. Yeah. No. And, and, you know, for, for me, I'm glad. And thank you, Jason. That that was exactly what I was looking for is now, now we can go into what you do now, not only are you, you're a full-time writer, right? But in particular, you're also helping people understand that medium of communication. So I'd love to know what is that looking like as of today? And what's, what are you most excited about in that respect? Uh, well, thank you. I mean, it's to, to Jason's point, you know, this is relevant. Um, I, I think one of the, um, one of the problems with written communication, because that's, you know, I focus pretty much exclusively on written communication, um, is that it's it's hidden in plain sight. We, we've come to rely on it. Uh, you know, we sent 300, sent and received 339 billion emails a day last year. Uh, uh, you know, and if you want to know what that looks like, you know, that's per, per person, that's an average of 20,000 per person per year. You held a, if you held a handful of sand, that would be 20,000 grains of sand, give or take 100 or so. And, you know, that's how many emails are going, you know, and, and you're probably getting more than that. So we've become really, really reliant on this, this written medium. And, of course, it's not just email. It's, it's you, you know, it's instant messaging like Slack and Teams chat, uh, WhatsApp. A lot of social media is written. Uh, and we don't realize we're doing it. So when we talk about communication especially in a leadership context, we generally we're talking about spoken communication because you know so many people focus on that when the thing that you know the op- the golden thread, if you like, or the thing that that can pull everything down um, is the written communication. you know that's you're going to be writing to people these days far more than you're going to be speaking to them in most areas, you know in most professions and most sectors. So what I'm doing is, trying to raise awareness of that as well as lifting the lid on the science behind what what happens when when we read uh, and when we write what other people read you know why is it we uh, we often fail to connect why is it that um, people can misinterpret our emails. Why, why, yeah. do we, why don't we get the results we were after? And often we're just puzzled by that. We think, well, that that made total sense to me, or that seemed perfectly logical. 
And there are so many things behind that, you know, but the one of which is that people can't hear the voice in your head it, when you're writing it. It's like we each have our own backing track. Uh, and uh, the trouble is the person reading what you've written has a backing track too, but it's not yours, it's theirs. Um, and it drowns out yours. Of course, they're not telepathic. And the other is that we didn't evolve to read and write. Uh, and that's, you know, but when I say that, people kind of, are, you know, they kind of stop and go, well, how do you mean? And I said, well, we, we evolved to speak and listen. Uh, and our brains, we're born with brains that are wired for speaking and listening. And we have to rewire our brains in order to learn to read. And that's why we'll learn to speak and listen just by other people speaking to us. And, you know, we'll learn that passively, but it takes 10 years to learn to read. Uh, and you won't do that passively. It has to be done through deliberate instruction. It's a hard process, but it always is something that's not that far from going wrong. You know, it, it uses a lot more cognitive resources than we realize, even when we can you know, even even when we don't think we have a reading problem, you know, sure, and, not, and I'm sure not many of your listeners are going to be thinking they have a reading problem. But it, it's, it, you know, it's kind of it, it involves learning to read involves joining together parts of the brain that we evolve for other things. And it's a miracle of adaptation. But it's just that it's an adaptation. It's not evolution. It's not our natural way of communicating. So that explains why my Korean lessons stopped the minute I had to learn how to read it all. <laughs> yeah, you could look. You could look at that. You know, Ten you years, could look at I was like, man, two weeks. I can't get this. <laughs> you, you could look at a at an alphabet that's unfamiliar to you. You could look at that for ten years, and you would be none the wiser. You would get nowhere. You, you know, it's something that somebody has to explain to you, and so that's something I'm really excited about. I think there's such an opportunity here if people could. You know, if I can get people to to realize just what an impact the words we read have on on what we think and do, uh, and it's not just the, the the copy that we read. You know, the copywriters are way ahead, uh, even of many of the scientists on this. It's interesting. You know, when you dig into the science, you know, so, some researchers are kind of starting to shine a light on things that good copywriters have known for decades. Um, but it, it's, you know, it's the other things. It's what we read in the news. It's when we read our email. It's when we read our text messages and get stuck in a text message argument for hours when we could just literally move the phone from in front of us up to our ear and solve it in five minutes. You know, it's, there's so much going on. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I'm just really excited about just kind of getting people to, um, to see that because I think there's such an opportunity there for people, um, if they can learn more about that. You're 100% spot on with the idea of people could easily call each other and yet it's just easier to tell. You're looking at a, the generational differences, right? Uh, Jason and I yeah. talk about this a lot because we spend so much time talking to each other. Uh, sometimes it really is just easier to pick up the phone, get the idea across and have it understood because especially if someone's busy, uh, which you know is a four letter word on this show, but uh, if writing back to a, a, let's say I send a long message and then you write back, okay. Sounds fine. Right. <laughs> Especially yeah. the younger generation. Like, what do you mean by that? Or they might yeah, say yeah, that yeah. it's like, no, okay. Yeah. You know, Oh my God, am I getting fired? Or, you know, like the, the, the yeah. things that people can think of when you were like, okay, but they read it. Okay. And again, this is what you're talking about is there's no, I mean, nothing short of sending a video with a response or audio with a response, some kind of cue for the tonality, the context of how someone said something, uh, or 
someone has developed an absolutely incredible ability to add a bunch of emojis to their messaging and their email. Uh, but we just don't communicate in emojis, do we? So I, I think no. there's a lot to be said and a lot of room for helping people understand that. Because if you look at the number of meetings that people take, uh, or how, and it's all set up through emails and so, and most people don't even read the threads as they get set up in threads. Jason himself doesn't believe in email. Uh, it's, it's, it, I mean, you just said it yourself, 20,000, you know, a year per person. You, you think about that. Uh, I personally am not one of those people that has thousands of emails in their inbox. I, I get to inbox zero uh, if, if, if I can help it almost every day. Um, it gives me anxiety to see someone that has 82,000 emails that they haven't cleaned up there. So it's a real issue. People have tried to reinvent email, but everybody just side sidesteps that deals with the evil that may be email and then joins a Slack channel or some, uh, you know, uh, discord or straight to WhatsApp or text messaging and even being in those different apps, as opposed to direct text message also makes a difference in how someone receives something, right? Oh, totally. It's, you know, context is everything. Uh, but it's, you know, that example you gave where it's kind of like an, if you like an, a, a huge asymmetry between what the sender has written and what the recipient has, has read, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of um, or you're you know, between one, between one message and the other, you know, just something like that, the signaling, you know, where you haven't got, um, a reciprocal, you know, you haven't got an equivalent reciprocal, you know, if your message, if you have a long message and you reply with a short message that, you know, we, we take that as a shortcut that someone's upset, you know, as, as, as a signal. Uh, whereas if you were speaking, you would know straight away. In fact, if you phone somebody and you say, how are you? And they pause for any more than 0.7 <laughs> seconds, you will know something's wrong. You would, yeah. you would, and you would kind of. It's not like you'll have to think it; you'll just feel it straight away. You know, and that's how we're wired. Uh, and there's even evidence that we don't release oxytocin, this this hormone that's so central to um, regulating human interaction. We don't release that when we're reading uh, a message, but we do release it when we hear the voice of the person who sent the message. You know, so there's there's so much going on there. Um, and that kind of reliance on those signals is because it's kind of, you know, we're, we're tr it, that's a hack. We're trying, you know, we're trying to use that as a way of making written communication richer than it actually is. You know, you receive, you, you're putting a layer on it because you're trying to turn it into a voice. And that's what reading is. You know, you're seeing dots and squiggles on a screen and you're hearing a voice in your head. The trouble is it's often the wrong voice. Yeah, that's why any writer that can get someone to completely understand their original intention <laughs> just amazes me the the level of craft that goes into that and i and i'm not sure any writer can actually take credit for that whether it's bukowski or stephen king or you name it there's just something about anytime i've ever read a novel and i mostly read nonfiction, but anytime i've ever read a novel uh and i actually see glimpses of what someone wrote i just think to myself wow did they do that did I do that? Who did that? What happened there? Because it's powerful stuff. And it's so hard to understand just how much work goes into that. And if they did it on purpose, intentionally, they made the effort, but maybe intended the, the next four sentences to do that. But I had it happen here. There's just no way mm. of telling ever. And that's, and of course, that's a, 
Go ahead. So go on. No, okay, no, so that's, okay. a re- that, that's a reaction. That is a reaction in, in the reader. You know, what's the, so it's not that's happening in your mind, not in theirs. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the skill of it. You know, good writing is not about the writer. It's about the reader. You know, and it, and that's the that is the 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 core. That's at the core of effective written communication. It's it's somehow putting yourself in the reader's shoes, and and then writing the things that are going to resonate with them, not with you, uh, and are going to produce a reaction in them, not in you. The trouble is when we're writing, we're we're on our own. You know, it's kind of your your your. It's one half of a conversation, and it's only your half. And it's all about you. You're, you're on your own. You know, you maybe you're in your office you're, or you're on your phone, lost in your own little world, thinking out loud on the screen. Often we'll write things on a screen that we would never say out loud, even to ourselves. You know, we're just <laughs> it's like this kind of, you know, it's like a kind of almost not a stream of consciousness, but it's, it's like an extension of our brains. And we're just tapping away. And of course, then we just press send and and then the other person receives it. And it's not always about their voice either, the voice in their head. You know, it could be because you've sent something that that that, that um, it's not actually uh, that, you know, it's not going to get the result with anybody. Uh, uh, and it, it, But because we were so lost in our world when we wrote it, we don't see that. Of course, you know, if we looked at it the next day, we probably would. You know, once we've broken that connection, um you know things you can do to to get around that you can send send the email to yourself say in a different you know you could write it on your laptop and send it to yourself on your phone for instance um i would say print it out but you know it's, if that's obviously a waste of resources but you've got to do something even even printing it as a pdf and looking at looking at it um on your screen anything that changes the format can help with that but usually it's just time especially if you're upset you know i would say Never email anybody under the influence of emotion. Yeah, the the exclamation uh, point in itself can be taken in so many contexts. And honestly, you know, my years learning uh, uh, acting and theater, I remember coming across uh, dialect coaches and and the whole uh, codified uh, uh, knowledge that they've been able to develop to help someone affect an accent or uh, something. Uh, there's there's room there. It would take an entire restructuring of the education around reading and writing, which is already impossible for most people. But it, it, we probably could develop symbols that we add as accents to things to indicate tonality and stresses. But I doubt that'll ever happen. It, people are pretty much, look, we're going to write as good as we need to to get the job done. And, and that's that. I can only imagine how much longer it would take to type things if you had to add you know, maybe, maybe we can, these are just things I'm thinking out loud. Maybe we can highlight certain colors. I said this in yellow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it, it, you know, I, I think half the battle is, is, um, is an easy part actually, which is just being aware. You know, if you're aware that writing is a low, what psychologists call a low capacity channel, you know, it can't do the heavy lifting that we ask it to do most of the time. Uh, and, you know, if it's something that's at all emotive, you know, that's likely to produce an emotive reaction, you know, if you're cancelling leave or telling somebody they've not got a raise or, or, or you know, saying that, you, you know, you're cancelling, you know, a meeting you were going to, whatever, um, uh, uh, and, it's, and it's a big deal, 
you can't do that much heavy lifting with with read with writing because because the reader can't do that much heavy lifting when they read it you know and you're far better off delivering bad news um in a phone call or or face to face um but it's so that's an awareness thing um but also it you know it's terrible for solving complex problems um uh, you know and and if and just knowing those two things you know if you know if it's complex um or if it's emotive um then or if it's urgent you know i i i think of c u e q you know that's your cue to get on the phone if it's yeah. complex urgent or emotive then get on the phone or get on zoom or teams or have a meeting in the real world um and sort it out then because you have a much much better chance uh, of getting the result you want um than if you try to do all of that through an email um or through text or you know any other form of the written word love it i just want to take a a quick second to close out the couple of the last couple of phases of the show the first is I want to give a shout out to one of our supporters uh, that keeps this show happening, makes this episode possible. And that is ProShark. It's a company run by Joel Phillips. So in business, regardless of what stage you're in, whether you're a solopreneur or you're bordering on that thousand employee mark, what have you, regardless of where you are on that spectrum, you're going to need a tech stack. You're going to need to look at what tools you're using, not only for uh, cybersecurity, Right. But for your shopping cart and e-commerce, all that, uh, even your digital marketing tech stack, like your CRM and your CMS, which is the content management system that you're running your website on, whatever that is, ProShark can help you get set up and optimize at whatever level you're at. Even if you worked with someone in the past, they can rearrange all that, sort of untangle the wires, if you will, on the back of your TV, if that's necessary. And it usually is because people tend to set it and forget it and then forgot that they had set it. So if you're into that and you're looking for that, you can hit up ProShark, go to ProShark.com and tell them the war room sent you and they'll roll out the red carpet for you. With that said, uh, I also want to give you an opportunity to tell people where they can connect with you, Rob. Where would that be? Uh, best way is, is on my website, um, which is simply RobAshton.com, A-S-H-T-O-N. Uh, if, uh, if people want to learn more about this stuff, I have a free training course on there. Uh, it's, it uses text and audio for reasons that should be, should be obvious. <laughs> so it's something you can listen to like a podcast or, or, or read it, whichever you prefer. It's called silent influence, um, because that's exactly what, what reading is. Um, so yeah, robashton.com. If they want to go straight to that course, you can just go to, uh, robashton.com slash influence. Uh, another resource for people um is uh, the emphasis blog emphasis was the company i started uh, that's writing skills.com slash blog probably the biggest most comprehensive um uh, knowledge hub uh of effective business writing uh, in the world uh, so it's wow. been running since 2008 and a lot of it very very specific you know uh including things like copywriting but also tendering you know sort of uh, you know pitching uh, writing bids for large contracts um, and, and all aspects of that, you know, so, so it's, it's searchable and it's, you know, it's a really good resource. That's uh, writing-skills.com slash blog. And if people want to connect with me on, on LinkedIn, uh, I'm on there and on Twitter, I'm uh, Robert underscore Ashton. Ah, beautiful. Well done. Well done. This is not your first time throwing something like that out there. <laughs> That's usually the hardest part for people, um, it, which is ironic. 
But uh, I, I'd love to now turn over to our grand finale, if that's all right, before we have Jason close us out, which is tradition on the show. So if all is uh, if all is good here and there's no objections, I'd love to I'd love to know, Rob, if you could have invited anyone, you know, any point, place and time in history in the world to have joined us today, who would you have loved to have had sitting in this room today with us? You know, for purely selfish reasons, I would love to have brought along uh, Dr. Keith Rayner. Uh, who uh, is who passed away um, last year, I think. Um, but he uh, he did a lot of the classic experiments on the psychology of reading. Uh, fascinating guy, uh, and um, you know, I would just love to have had a conversation with him. And I think he, you know, he could have uh, added a whole new layer to our discussion today. So yeah, I'd love to have spoken to him. Absolutely, Keith Rayner. I'll check that out. Man, uh, rest in peace. I, I, it's one of those things where that happens often is people will, you know, bring up someone that's no longer with us. And that just goes to show the impact that someone can have on people and being alive and how important it is, I think, for us to do our best work and try to maximize and leverage the impact. As Jason calls it, you know, there's a, there's the idea of, you know, legacy versus footprint and a footprint leaves a track behind. Right. Uh, so, uh, it's really good to see how often I'll learn a new name that has been doing good work out there in the world. Uh, it is tradition around here for me to turn it over to Jason and close this out. But Rob, it's, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, it's been a pleasure for me as well. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Awesome. Well, Rob, very enlightening conversation, no doubt. Um, I expected that coming into this conversation. <laughs> Based off of your history, thank you for sharing all of that with, you know, not just our audience, but with us as well. <clears throat> it's always great to, uh, you know, be able to have conversation and, and listen. That's that's the beauty that I get behind most of this podcast is I get to do more listening than talking. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. Uh, so thank you for dropping those wonderful nuggets of knowledge on us and on our audience. Uh, it's greatly appreciated. Um, I always say we have 168 hours a week. Thanks for stopping by for 34 with us. Nice. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. It's been great. I've really enjoyed it. Right on. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.